to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. I am your host, Dr. Onit Lev, an emergency and addiction doctor who has served at the White House and still practices on the front lines. Right here on High Truths, you will learn from experts, hear stories from the emergency department, and listen to people who have struggled from addiction. Friends, fentanyl is plaguing America. It has infected all illicit drugs, from cocaine to meth, counterfeit pills, and even marijuana. If you are around someone who may be using drugs, you should carry naloxone, the opioid reversal agent. Carrying naloxone for drugs is like carrying an EpiPen for allergies. If you need a prescription for naloxone, you should have one. No questions asked. That is why I am offering a free prescription to anyone who needs one. Come visit me on HighTruths.com to learn more about the show, submit a question, or download a free prescription for naloxone. And if you like the show, do me a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. Your stars are very much appreciated and go a long way in supporting the program. This High Truths podcast is sponsored by NMI, the National Marijuana Initiative. NMI strives to dispel misconceptions about marijuana and raise awareness of the issues surrounding the drug so that citizens and policymakers can make well-informed choices regarding marijuana use and regulations. Learn more about NMI at thenmi.org. Hello, hello. This will be a legendary podcast because I am honored to host a legendary psychiatrist, the modern day father of schizophrenia research, Sir Robin Murray. So I thought I would start by sharing the basics. What is psychosis? What is schizophrenia? Psychosis is a disruption in a person's thoughts and perceptions that they make it difficult for the affected individual to recognize what's real and what isn't. Depending on the delusion, the disease can be benign, like thinking that you're a spy wanted by the CIA, or life-threatening with voices telling you to kill yourself or kill the person in front of you. Some cases of psychosis can be very dramatic. In November 2020, in England, Jake Nodum, 27 years old, ate a pot brownie and became very agitated. His girlfriend, Lauren Bloomer, a 25-year-old university student, was trying to help him but he became very aggressive. She laughed initially, and Jake thought that she was laughing at him and became angry. Lauren was increasingly scared and turned on her recorder. She can be heard saying, please help me. Jake stabbed Lauren 30 times and ran over her body with his car multiple times. Jake was a factory worker at Jaguar Land Rover, and he believed that he was dead And in order to come back to life, he had to kill his partner. His trial defense was psychosis, divorced from reality. He was cleared of murder after admitting to manslaughter and received eight years in jail. That did not bring Lauren back, uh, who recorded her own murder. This is a dramatic and very sad case of psychosis. Psychosis can be obvious with external visible signs, such as people arguing loudly with themselves, I sat with a patient I'll call Sally who came in for pain in her feet and I asked her about her pain condition and noticed that she was distracted and not making eye contact. Then out of the blue, she jerked her body forward and started yelling, shut up, shut up. I said, shut up. Security heard the commotion and came to my rescue, but she was not really talking to me. She was talking to some invisible entity that only she could see. And I was able to get Sally to settle down a bit and she received some antipsychotic medications. Sally, are you hearing voices? Yes. What are they saying? Uh, They say, don't talk to her. Are they telling you to hurt yourself or anyone? They say, I'm no good, that I should die, that I'm worthless. They're laughing at me. Sally was trying to fight off these voices. She didn't want them to invade her mind. Sally was able to express her hallucinations, but many people can't. And some speak in a way and mumble in a way that I just can't understand or follow. Sometimes psychosis can be more subtle. My patient that I'll call Joe came into the hospital for a headache. It took some good interviewing skills to find out what he really wanted was for me to do surgery on him and take out the tracking device that was planted by the CIA in his neck that was causing him headaches. 
Now, that's a tricky medical encounter. I can't just blow off his psychosis as not being real to his headache. Perhaps he indeed had a physical problem that was giving him this headache and he was interpreting it as what the CIA did to him. And so while I thought I was this brilliant medical detective, I really wasn't because checking his medical records showed that he had already a number of CAT scans, went to the hospital several times over the years for the same exact complaint. These delusions seem harmless, but they clearly weren't and very distressing to Joe. And these are examples of psychosis. Schizophrenia is a disease a severe chronic mental disorder characterized by disturbances in thought, perception, and behavior. There's no blood test specifically to detect schizophrenia. The diagnosis is made based on meeting the DSM-5 criteria. In general, signs of the disorder must be continuous for at least six months with two or more symptoms of delusions, hallucinations, or disorganized speech that last at least one month. Substance use or other medical conditions need to be ruled out before making the diagnosis of schizophrenia. So psychosis is a symptom like chest pain, while schizophrenia is a chronic diagnosis like coronary artery disease. There is undisputed evidence that cannabis can induce psychosis, but there's also evidence that cannabis is a risk factor for permanent schizophrenia. Not everyone who uses cannabis gets schizophrenia, but the odds increase with chronic use, Hi, starting at a young Anna age, Emmett, and, and high-potency products. And now, Diego. let's hear the I question of the day. I also co-chair the system-wide pain management opioid stewardship committee at Scripps Health and work closely with Dr. Leave. A little bit more about myself. I have over 10 years of experience practicing as an emergency department and critical care clinical pharmacy specialist. At Scripps Health, pain management and opioid stewardship is a high priority. We have been actively working on limiting opioid use at our organization, both at the inpatient level and also at our clinics. We have expanded our multimodal pain options, and we continue to move forward in our commitment to improving pain management strategies and addressing opioid and substance use disorders. I had the privilege of joining the last podcast of High Truths. What I enjoyed the most was the discussion pertaining to medicinal marijuana use and the lack of robust evidence and regulations. It was enlightening to hear thoughts from a very well-versed panel, and I'm looking forward to the next podcast of High Truths. I have a question for Sir Robin Murray. We know that THC can cause psychosis, but is there really a cause and effect between THC use and schizophrenia? Thank you. Thank you, Henna, for your perfect question to our esteemed expert. Let me tell you about Professor Sir Robin Murray, another rock star legend in the medical profession, specifically psychiatry. Sir Robin Murray is a professor of psychiatric research at the Institute of Psychiatry, King's College London, and a fellow of the Royal Society. Kings and royalty, hence the proper Sir in front of his name as he was awarded knighthood for his services to medicine. He is ranked one of the most influential researchers in the field of psychiatry. His work challenged the prevailing view of schizophrenia as an adult onset brain disease, and instead demonstrated that schizophrenia is partly a neurodevelopmental disorder fueled by insults to the brain during early life. He's identified that environmental and social factors are very important in determining susceptibility to psychosis. You can find Sir Robin Murray's bio on the High Truth show notes. And I thank Sir Murray for being on the scientific advisory panel of Isaac, the International Academy and the Science and Impact of Cannabis. So Sir Robin Murray, welcome to High Truths. Thank you. I call you the modern day father of schizophrenia research. So can you share with us what drove you to this type of research? Well, I wanted to be a psychiatrist since I was 14. And uh, I went to a single sex school and there were no girls. And so the uh, combination of Freud's philosophy and a lot of preoccupation with sex was uh, turned me on to psychiatry. So uh, I I went into medicine medicine to do psychiatry and uh, that that, that, uh, started me off and 
of course, schizophrenia is the most interesting. Psychosis is the most interesting because if you can understand how people get strange perceptions and strange ideas, maybe it tells you a little bit about how the normal mind functions. So I've been fascinated by schizophrenia or, or, or psychosis. Schizophrenia is just severe psychosis for uh, 30 years. Wow. Um, and then you got into the research of it as well. It's treating patients and, and research, right? Yes, well, it's a, it's a very nice combination because you, when you see patients, you want you you want to try and understand them better, and you you also want to try and uh, and participate in helping to develop better treatments. And, uh, and and to be to be honest, it's actually quite exhausting to be a clinical psychiatrist all the time, and uh, and be sympathetic to people listening to their troubles from uh, from eight or nine o'clock in the morning till into into the, the evening. So it's it's very good to do that for a little bit and then do some research. And the two I, I operate together very well. Yeah, that, that makes sense because you you if you see the same thing again and again, you could lose your empathy. And the other, I find that in my career too, it's the other things I do that make me a better emergency and addiction physician because I I, I bring all those other experiences um, when I interact with patients. Sure. And you started, um, you know, uh, psychiatrist, schizophrenia research, treatment. How did you uh, come about to researching the effects of cannabis or marijuana? Uh, yes, and we should say that, that in Europe we call it cannabis, and I guess in the States you call it uh, marijuana, but essentially the same thing. Well, I had specialized in psychosis and schizophrenia since the uh, early 80s. And in the first 15, uh, 15 years or so, I never ever thought about cannabis and uh, it, it never seemed to impinge on my clinical practice. But to, maybe to, in the, the late 90s and the beginning of the, 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 20, the 21st century, I started seeing uh, families and the parents or the brothers and sisters would say, it's, and we're very upset about our uh, son or brother who's developed psychosis. Do you think it could have anything to do with all the cannabis he smokes? He sits and smokes cannabis all day. And we would say, no, no, it can't be anything to do with, with, with cannabis because everybody knows cannabis is an entirely safe drug. All the medical journals said that. And so we would say to the, to, to the relatives, no, no, you got that wrong. It's not the cannabis. But we kept seeing people at, that, who raised this. And after a while, we thought, well, the other thing that at that time, people used to say, well, we know that people with psychosis smoke more cannabis, but poor souls, they, they hear voices, they, they're paranoid often, they think people are against them. I, they have a miserable life. I, so if they, a few puffs of cannabis I, helps them, then why, 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 why interfere with this. Now, if that is the case and smoking cannabis helps you, then you ought to do better than other people with psychosis, other people with schizophrenia. So we followed up people for about uh, four years and lo and behold, the people who kept smoking cannabis did much, much worse than the people who never smoked cannabis or who stopped smoking cannabis. The best thing was if you had been smoking cannabis, you went psychotic and then you stopped, you have much better chance of recovery. That's fascinating because, you know, uh, when I took the addiction medicine boards, we are studying a lot about uh, receptors. And one of the receptors was the nicotine receptor. And we learned that smoking cigarettes with nicotine actually decreases the negative psychotic effects of people with schizophrenia. And that makes sense. And that's why we see a lot of people with schizophrenia who smoke because it actually helps their symptoms. Was that the thought behind, oh, it works with nicotine and cigarettes. Why would it not work with cannabis, but it actually did the opposite? Yes, that's definitely what uh, we thought. But actually, I don't believe that uh, that cigarettes are good for people with psychosis. I personally think that they may contribute. So in Europe, people smoke uh, cannabis with tobacco. And I think that's probably the worst of, of, uh, of both worlds. But you're certainly right. This was the idea 
that people were taking these things as a kind of self-medication. Uh, and of course, if you ask people, this is what they say. I say, I feel my, I feel better uh, after I have uh, had some cannabis. But of course, if people are addicted to to tobacco, they say, oh, I feel terrible in the morning. Then I have a cigarette. I feel better. Or if they're alcoholic, they, the alcoholic person is shaky and, and feeling very uh, miserable in, uh, in the morning. And they know what the treatment is. It's, it's a wee whiskey or, or, or a couple of beers. That, that's so smart because that need uh, is um, that's a sign of addiction. Right. And, and then they do. They do feel better because they, they need that for their baseline. But they wouldn't have if they didn't get exposed in the first place. No, I have a very good friend who says she needs to smoke cannabis every night because she can't sleep otherwise. But one of the symptoms of stopping cannabis, cannabis withdrawal, is insomnia. So Hello. I think she is she is smoking the cannabis to stop herself getting the withdrawal. Right, exactly. And that I found that I, I realize when I, I I treat patients and I tell them that can you be addicted to marijuana and they, or cannabis? And they all say no, but I know they are because they've been doing it for ten years and they're in the emergency department with cannabis hyperemesis syndrome that, that it's really chronic use. And until I explain to them what a, what withdrawal is, exactly what you just said that that it's not withdrawal from alcohol and shaking or opiates, you know, where you're physically sick. It's insomnia headache, anxiety, and then they think, oh, yeah, I guess that does happen. And the other thing is that cannabis hangs around in the body much longer yeah. than nicotine or alcohol. If you or I go out and get drunk tonight, in 24 hours, most of the alcohol is out of our system. But if we go out and smoke a few joints, you'd still detect it in a week, two weeks, three weeks, and sometimes up to a month. So the withdrawal is very, very much gradual, and it doesn't really come on for three or four days off often. Interesting. Now, I have a nephew who lives in England, and he has schizophrenia. He used uh, cannabis when he was an adolescent, and at that time, it was probably low potency. I don't know if you got the high potency in England yet, like we do here. Um, and we don't have any family history of schizophrenia, and I'm wondering if pot uh, cannabis caused his mental illness. And can we even say that? I, I, I would think it's quite uh, possible. I, when I said I didn't see people who see, cannabis seemed to be a big problem with their psychosis in the 80s and most of the 90s, well, cannabis here was pretty weak there in terms of potency then. It had something like a 3 or 4% a THC, tetrahydrocannabinol. I, and uh, it was only when cannabis started getting more potent that we started seeing more people with cannabis-associated psychosis. So in the UK, the average, can, uh, the average THC concentration in our cannabis is about 16%. And, and we don't laugh. We call that high potency. But uh, when, I uh, when I talk to people from, from, people from, uh, from uh, Colorado or places like that, they, they, they laugh. Uh, so in Europe, the potency uh, is generally lower, except in Holland. Holland, of course, has quite a liberal uh, uh, laws regarding cannabis, and it's much more like the U.S. They have much higher potency there. Okay, what you're saying, I said, you said don't laugh, and of course I laugh because you told me not to. But <laughs> it's actually scary because if you're seeing this direct correlation with with um, with with schizophrenia in your population with low potency, does that mean that we would have more mental illness in our population because we have higher potency? Well, I would suspect that that would, that would be the case. We did a big uh, trans-European study where we uh, looked at 16 different uh, areas in, in Europe and we collected everybody who went psychotic over a period of uh, two years. And that was in London, Amsterdam, Paris, uh, uh, Madrid, uh, Barcelona, Palermo. And we looked to see the, the uh, frequency of psychosis and of schizophrenia. 
And psychosis was much commoner in London and Amsterdam and Paris than in Southern Europe. It was actually over four times commoner in London than it was in Southern Spain and Italy. And the one thing that correlated with was the consumption of high what we call high-potency cannabis. So there was a correlation of 0.8, which is a pretty high correlation between the incidence of psychosis and smoking high-potency. In, in uh, Sicily, there was no high-potency can cannabis, and the, and the teenagers still still go to the ice cream parlor, or they did when we did this study about six years ago, I, whereas I, things had developed in the big cities of, of, the, of North, like Paris, Amsterdam, and London. And we calculated 30% of all the psychotic people, 30% of all the schizophrenic people uh, that we see in London, they wouldn't have gone psychotic if they hadn't they'd been smoking uh, cannabis. That's just, that's, um, that's scary. Um, so we have a question from you from a pharmacist, um, Hena Ahmed, and she asked uh, just pointedly, we, we know THC causes um, psychosis, but can we say that uh, cannabis actually causes schizophrenia, not just associated with it? Yeah, it's a very good question. And schizophrenia, there is no single cause. If you think a good example is heart, if you if you ask somebody what causes a heart attack, there is no single cause. You may have a, a family tendency to heart attacks, but you've never taken any exercise. You've got obese and you smoke cigarettes. All of these things are risk factors for having a, having a heart attack. And it's the same with uh, with uh, psychosis and schizophrenia that you 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 inherit a vulnerability and then if something bad happens to your brain early on if you have if you are premature or have a head injury early in life that increases the risk if you're abused as a child that increases the the, the risk uh, and if you if you abuse if you abuse drugs in your teenage years that increases the risk so we would call cannabis a component cause so it's one of a number of uh, causes. But uh, they, 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 we can show that cannabis is so associated. So people with, with uh, psychosis and people with schizophrenia, they smoke much more than the rest of the population. That Well, they could be smoking that because it helps them. But what we have to do is to follow up people long before they get psychosis. If you remember, how did they show that cigarettes cause lung cancer. They took people when they were in their teens and 20s and divided them into those who smoke cigarettes and those who don't, and actually then followed them up for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And the ones who were smoking cigarettes turned out to have much higher uh, risk or, or much higher frequency of, of lung cancer. And so we've done the same for, for uh, cannabis. So the teenagers who smoke cannabis will end up a, having a much higher risk of, of developing psychosis. So we, you have that data um, in Europe that shows that, that there is a, a, a cause and effect. Um, is, have, have the Americans done this kind of study yet? I, I don't, there, there have actually been 13, what we call prospective studies. Okay. And these are mostly from England, Holland and Scandinavia, because it's much easier to do it in systems that are like socialized systems, because what you can do is you take the general population and you uh, you uh, interview them all at 18, and then you maybe interview them again when they're 26. And then I, and you see whether they're smoking cannabis or not. And then you do a, you do a search of all the records of hospital admissions for psych psychiatric disorder in the country. And you're able to identify the ones who have gone psychotic. As I understand it, in, in the US, you have a lot of uh, hospitals, but you don't have a health system. You have lots of different systems. Maybe in, in, in California, you have Kaiser, but on the whole, you can't ask 
I, you can't ask the, the National Institute for Drug Abuse how many cases of schizophrenia are there in the USA because they, they, all the different states are different. Yeah. So it's a lot easier to do these kind of studies in Europe. Yeah. And we, we, are, we have a terrible, terrible mental health crisis now in, in the United States. Our emergency departments are, are primarily have mental health patients now. Yeah. Um, uh, more than any other disease process, it's um, it's it very must, sad. It, it's, it must be very sad because uh, it's very sad. I mean, research and knowledge about mental health problems, America is say uh, amongst the leaders. But actually, I, I guess if you're rich, it's okay. But if you're poor, it's pretty terrible. I think. But you know, mental illness affects you whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter. Of course, right? Yeah. So it yeah. is. Um, Robin, I love your analogy about risk factors. And we learned that in, in medical school about risk factors for heart disease. So anybody with chest pain, we ask them, do you have a family history of heart disease? Do you have diabetes, cholesterol, high blood pressure, or tobacco history? So we, we always ask that. If we did that for people coming in with mental illness and psychosis, what would be those risk factors that we would be asking? For psychosis, a family history, obviously. And uh, th then uh, uh, anything that's damaging or potentially damaging to your brain in development. So we, we think of schizophrenia as being partly a neurodevelopmental condition. So uh, preterm babies have a doubling of the risk or babies who were hypoxic, who had shortage of oxygen at birth, they have a, an increased risk. Uh, being abused as a child, I, I, uh, not necessarily by parents, but 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 by strangers or relatives. Being bullied is is uh, is is quite a common uh, risk factor. Wow. And then a uh, drug abuse is uh, another uh, one. And finally, uh, adverse life events. Uh, you'll know that when uh, when people get depressed, they often get depressed after. A, a, a sad event. They they they've lost somebody. Their they, somebody has died. Their girlfriend has left them, or they've lost a job. The life events that precipitate psychosis and schizophrenia they're different. They're intrusive. So being bullied, being beaten up in the street, or uh, being burgled these things which you see as a threat, uh, they're more likely to precipitate psychosis in a person who who is a, a, a susceptible and um and it's more the younger you are or yes i always tell people that i'm i'm not going to develop i tell my students or my my uh, my uh, medical students that i i won't want develop schizophrenia because of my well-rounded personality no, because of my age, nobody, well, nobody develops classical schizophrenia at my age. Schizophrenia and psychosis are associated with high dopamine in your brain. And dopamine is at its peak when you're young. And when you get older, your dopamine levels decrease. And that's why people get Parkinson's disease when, when they're my, my age, because your dopamine levels naturally decrease. So it's easier to push up the dopamine in young people than it is in, in, in older people. And it's the excess of dopamine that produces the psychosis. Interesting. And that's what drugs do. Drugs elevate your dopamine. Exactly. Yes. And we, what we know that dop dop dopamine partly gives you rewards, but the other thing it does, it grabs your attention. So if you're running on too much dopamine, then I, Everything appears significant and important. The, the, the surrounds, the noises, the way the birds sing, uh, the way somebody looks at you, they look, you, you wonder, why is he looking at me in that, in that way? Everything is given salience or significance by, that, by, that, by, by the high dopamine. And that's what makes people think there's something very strange going on. So you, you studied environmental effects on schizophrenia. Um, which uh, really changed the model, right? Of, of, of how we think of schizophrenia. We thought that this is like a, you know, a, a middle age onset disease, but you realize that no, it starts um, much younger. And you also studied the genes related to psychosis. Um, can you tell us more about that? 
Yes. So clinicians, psychiatrists have thought that there was a genetic component to schizophrenia for years and years, 80 years, because if you find one identical twin who has schizophrenia, the second twin will have uh, schizophrenia in about 50% of cases. And uh, even if they're raised, even if they're raised apart or adopted away. Uh, and so that looked like a biological transmission, genetic transmission, but we hadn't identified the genes. But in 2014, there was a huge uh, uh, genetic study that involved uh, researchers from all over the world, and they collected about uh, 50,000 people with schizophrenia and 100,000 controls, okay, people without schizophrenia, and then compared them and showed that there were lots of places on the genome, on the different chromosomes, where there were little differences between the people with schizophrenia. So it wasn't, you don't inherit one big gene. You inherit lots of genes with a tiny little effect. So the inheritance is like the inheritance of height or asthma or diabetes. You get lots of little genes that uh, contribute to, be, to you being more likely to be tall or more likely to have asthma or like more likely to have a psychosis. And then other nasty things may happen to you in life to push you into it. So now we now we have a, a measure of how 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 much genetic loading you have for schizophrenia. It's called the polygenic risk score for schizophrenia. So you can do a blood sample, and or or spit into a maybe maybe I don't know whether whether you've done uh, sent your DNA off to twenty three and Me or something yeah. like that. So it's the equivalent of doing that, and uh, you can get a polygenic risk score for schizophrenia to see. How high is your risk? And to come back to your pharmacist's question at the beginning, so we can look and see the people who developed psychosis following cannabis, do they all have to have a high polygenic risk score for schizophrenia? Do they all have to have the susceptibility? And the answer is, if they have the susceptibility, it's easier to push them into being psychotic. They don't have to smoke so much. But there's lots of people with cannabis about a third of all the people who have a cannabis-associated psychosis have, don't, don't have a genetic predisposition to psychosis. So they would never have developed a, a psychosis if they hadn't been using cannabis. Wow. I'm going to remember that and use that because I think that analogy that you just uh, had goes exactly with heart disease. Like, you know, just because your father had it doesn't mean you could have it, but there you have risk factors. Some you can control, some you can't control. So you want to protect yourself as best you can with the things that you can control. Yeah, and if, if you have no family history of heart disease, but you're obese, you get obese and you don't take any exercise and you smoke tobacco furiously, bang, you get a heart attack. Yeah, yeah, that, that's excellent. I, I thank you for that. Um, you know, in in the United States, marijuana cannabis is a, a political topic, you know, legal, not legal, criminalized, not criminalized, medical, not medical, you know, and people very passionate about their point of views. Um, can you tell us what it, what's it like in England? Well, like I, 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 I should say, I should correct you here. I, what's it like in the UK? Because okay. I'm actually Scottish, even though oh, I work. I, even I should recognize that accent. <laughs> even though I work in London. So here, I... There, there was uh, there, 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 there were campaigns to decrease the criminality of cannabis in the uh, in the nineties and uh, in the in the early two thousands, and the and the Labour government, the Tony Blair's government, they slightly decreased. Uh, it didn't become it didn't become legal, but it was distinguished from cocaine and opiates and and hard drugs. So there was really hard drugs and then there was then there was cannabis and this caused a lot of sort of public discussion and actually by coincidence we had just come out and with a, some of the first evidence that cannabis was associated with psychosis so we got a lot of a, a media time and since that time the the general public in the UK most most knowledgeable people 
will know that uh, cannabis uh, uh, increases the risk of psychosis. So, uh, I mean, all um, all the politicians, I'm sure, uh, know this, and uh, uh, newspaper journalists, and uh, and so on, and certainly all people in mental health. When when we started saying this, uh, people didn't believe it, and uh, for about ten years, I kept getting invited to debates. Does cannabis cause uh, psychosis? Does cannabis cause schizophrenia? And I would go, and I would get soundly, soundly beaten. There would be a quarter of the audience agreed with me, and the rest didn't. But after about ten years, I stopped getting invited to debates because nobody would disagree on it. They couldn't find anybody to disagree, so everybody agreed. So, in all mental health people in Britain and most of Europe agree, there is still disagreement about how common it is, what proportion of psychosis is uh, related to, to, to psychosis. And of course, there's still the question, that doesn't solve the question of whether it should be legal or not. Everybody knows that if you drink a bottle of whiskey or, or a, a bottle of vodka every day, you're more likely to get liver failure. But that doesn't mean to say we should necessarily uh, ban alcohol. Right, interesting. Do you, do you feel that that's a good analogy, alcohol and cannabis? Yeah. So. I mean, you might say, "What about tobacco?" Well, there's, there's, you can't find any good anything good to say about smoking tobacco. It's just detrimental in, in general. And actually, I think it's Norway is thinking of uh, is moving towards making it illegal to smoke. Yeah. I, I, I think within something like eight years, they hope to make it illegal. I, but for alcohol, the majority of people drink alcohol moderately, sensibly, they never get into trouble. It's the same with cannabis. The majority of people uh, smoke cannabis occasionally. Uh, they moderately, they, 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 they don't run into trouble, but it's the people who are smoking uh, every day. It's like the people who are, are, are drinking a bottle of vodka. But in our case, it's the people who are a smoking cannabis. We call them joints or spliffs. I don't know what you call, call them. I haven't. Yeah, joints, blends. Yeah, and Vaping. so the people, people that we see are maybe taking five or ten or fifteen or twenty joints a day. They're, they wake up in the morning, they reach for for to to roll their 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 their, their joint, and the rest of the day they're intoxicated. They don't go to work because they've lost their jobs. They don't they don't have friends to smoke with much because they get a bit paranoid and they fall out with their friends. So all they have left is, is smoking. I'm, I'm worried about that analogy. I think it's more like cigarettes rather than alcohol because you focus on the brain as a psychiatrist and able to like clearly, you know, again, the world leader and what happens on your, your, on your mind uh, with cannabis, but there's other parts of the body, right? We had a um, interesting presentation and I'm going to have him on this podcast, Dr. Stuart Reese, who looks at all that happens when you use uh, cannabis on your DNA, how all these chromosomal abnormalities, he calls it weed whacking your DNA. And, and, I saw studies that show that toxins from that joint or blunt is more than a Marlboro cigarette as far as cancer risk. So I'm not, I don't know. I'm worried about saying that it's exactly that alcohol. Um, no, it's in term, before in term, we make the same mistakes that we did with tobacco. Oh, no, I, I, certainly. And of course, we have to remember who who's beginning to snap up the tobacco, it's the, the, the cannabis companies, it's the big tobacco companies. Yeah. You mentioned Mal, Marlborough, they've bought a stake in, in uh, one of the Canadian cannabis uh, companies and uh, Budweiser also, they're moving into to, to, to cannabis. So I I, I, I was probably, uh, no, I, I take that back. There certainly are some some analogies with, with the tobacco as well. The, 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 the we know that uh, tobacco, and we also know that cannabis, it changes your epigenetics. So, you know, you can take a you can take a a, a blood sample and look at the the epigenetics, the methylation of the DNA, and find out how much somebody's smoked in their life. It's better than asking them, and you can also really? uh, do this. 
Yes, it's more accurate they, because people don't forget how much they've smoked. But the epigenetics of tobacco is what they call the tobacco signature. And uh, uh, it's the same with cannabis. And of course, a lot of the signature is, is not actually the tobacco or the cannabis, it's the smoke, which you've inhaled. Uh, so uh, I think you probably see more vomiting than we do. Uh, but of course, I'm a psychiatrist. I don't go to the emergency clinic. Yeah. Interesting. And um, but if it's just the smoke, then the edibles would be considered safe. And I don't know if you would consider the edibles safer as far as risk of psychosis and schizophrenia. Fortunately, we don't really have much in the way of edibles. Okay. I, I'm, I'm sure we have theoretically, but but uh, you can get them off the Internet, but there's nowhere to sort of buy them. Uh, 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 dealers, by and large, don't uh, don't don't sell edibles. I tell you a strange story I had. Uh, yeah. So I was uh, giving a talk to about 100 Canadian psychiatrists. And after the talk, the chairman, also a psychiatrist, said, uh, didn't like to admit this in front of all my colleagues, but I once went psychotic on cannabis. He said I was uh, in my 20s and I had a very uh, extroverted uh, uh, girlfriend who was also a very good cook and for my birthday she baked this lovely cake oh it was a great cake and I really liked it and I had uh, a bit then I had another slice and I had another slice and I, I, I she was saying oh I think that's enough don't have any more uh, I, I think she said he said I thought she was worried about my weight but anyway so after I, I had three or four bits and then uh, Nothing much happened, but about an hour and a half later, I began feeling very strange. I began to become quite uh, bizarre. Things were happening, and I felt very paranoid and suspicious. And she admitted, she said, There's, there was cannabis in this. You need to go to the emergency clinic. So they set off to go to the emergency clinic. But at this this is 10 years ago. At that point, uh, it was illegal if, if a doctor was found to be smoking cannabis, they would lose their license. Yeah. So they went to the emergency. They were nearly at the emergency clinic. When he remembered this, he said, no, we can't do this. We have to go over the border into the US. So they turned around <laughs> and they drove through the through the customs and he went to some, uh, some emergency clinic in the US where it wouldn't be fed back. So he got an antipsychotic there and, and he recovered after a day or so. Interesting. And because we do, we see these people who come in 911 and, and, and they feel like they're dying, absolutely dying. And and it's not, they're not going to die. And if I tell them you're not going to die, you're going to be okay. It's just marijuana. They don't believe it. So yeah, I think the right treatment is just like what you said, is to give it antipsychotic. There's no antidote. You know, if you have an opioid overdose, we could give you naloxone and, 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 and do an antidote. There's no antidote for uh, psychosis for marijuana or methamphetamines or anything like that. So we haven't uh, really because cannabis is not legal for recreational uses here. The big companies are not making chocolate and, and Mars bars and, uh, and, and and things like that. But what we get are problems with synthetic cannabinoids, like we call it spice or K2. We do too. Uh, and of course, that's like very highly potent uh, cannabis. And in that case, you can go psychotic in in, in a, usually, I mean, the people who'd use traditional can, plant cannabis, you have to try very hard to go psychotic. You have to smoke and smoke and smoke. But the, the ones who, who take high potency cannabis or a synthetic cannabinoids, they can go a psychotic overnight. Right. Well, I think if you smoke the high potency, we've seen people on, with, who make their own YouTube videos, they smoke it once and then they immediately do become psychotic because of the high potency. But yeah. but I think you mentioned that our definitions for high potency may be different, right? I mean, our, our cannabis dispensaries are very proud to have 25%, even 90%. But what is your definition in your research? For high potency so, across the and 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 you, again you're going to laugh. I the the across Europe we divided it into a high potency. Low potency was below ten percent THC. High potency was above it above ten percent. Right. And uh, in 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 Italy you could hardly get any THC any cannabis above ten percent. I. I think it's, in fact, in Palermo, in Sicily, 
we found no no uh, psychotic patients who had smoked high potency cannabis. We found two healthy controls who had smoked uh, high potency cannabis, and that was when they'd gone on a weekend trip to Amsterdam. So Amsterdam is like your Colorado. There's a big tourist uh, industry in cannabis. So people fly into Amsterdam and uh, they, 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 they spend the week smoking cannabis. You know, I think that's a very good point about the, the potency um, uh, because uh, when we're talking about, you know, regulation or rules or even science, we have to compare apples to apples, right? And, and yeah. comparing something with less than 10% THC and saying, okay, you need to smoke a lot to get psychotic uh, compared to the high potency THC where you do it once. And then we have, you know, the case that I have uh, for this podcast, a guy who like used it and then stabbed his girlfriend and ran her over um, because he was, you know, not in his right mind. Um, I think that's the other thing that is, if we think that cannabis and psychosis is not very well known, cannabis and violence is even less known. Mm. In the UK, only seven, if you think of all the murders carried out by schizophrenic people, only 7% are carried out by schizophrenic people who are not taking drugs or alcohol. Of the people who do, and of course it's a minority of people with with a small minority of people with, with schizophrenia who are violent, but the people who carry out a murder, 48%, were alcoholic or or or, or uh, abusing alcohol and 45% were abusing cannabis wow but there are, is a difference that usually people get violent uh, uh, at least in Scotland where i'm from it's at the weekend and people go out and they get tanked up and they drink far too much and they have a punch up and uh, and uh, they're they're disinhibited I like that. yeah they're, they're disinhibited because of the the, the alcohol Cannabis is different. You get a bit intoxicated, but it's the paranoia that causes you to, to be violent because you, you think they're against me, they're going to harm me. I'd better, uh, I, I better do something before they get me. And indeed, some of these jihadis that, uh, that commit uh, terrible uh, crimes, uh, some of them have been sort of petty criminals and cannabis users before they are converted to being uh, to be to being a hardline Muslim, so uh, I, I think it's underestimated the association between cannabis wow. and violence. Has anyone looked at that? The Suicide Bombers Association with with cannabis uh, use? No, no, not formally. But if you if you do a troll through uh, uh, these, uh, well, actually, it's bizarre, bizarre murders. Are you, you know most murders are are by of family and friends well not right. but you tend to murder your family or your friends but murders of strangers of a, of a bizarre nature are more likely to be cannabis induced there is actually a website whose name i have forgotten an american man collected all the headlines on all the mm. the incidences of violence due to marijuana wow um so with all this knowledge and experience that you have, really, you have this amazing knowledge of the cross-section of mental health, schizophrenia, and, and substance use disorder. Where do we need to go, both probably in, in research and in protecting the public? Well, I say there's a difference if we need to go in uh, Europe and in the U.S. I, I say to uh, People here doing research on cannabis and psychosis is very uh, expensive, uh, and you have to. If you do it on animals, you have to get the animals and you put them in cages and you feed them and you heat them and you have to look after them well to get a license and so on. North America, young North Americans come for free, so you are carrying out a huge pharmacological experiment on young people, and uh, I think. Uh, it, it, it now there are the beginnings so that at last uh, the researchers in America have woken up to start looking at the the, the frequency of uh, of uh, psychosis and its relation to cannabis and to whether kind of whether 
the, the state, it's legal for medicinal reasons or legal for recreational reasons. And the studies are beginning to, 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 to show that the states where there is a medicinal or recreational cannabis, people are smoking more cannabis and they're smoking more potent cannabis and there's more visits to, to emergency uh, uh, clinics with uh, cannabis-associated psychosis. And there's more, in Canada especially, there's uh, been more hospital admissions uh, for cannabis-associated psychosis. So I think we have to, I think in your country, there need to be more of these studies like have been done in Europe, just because I know Americans don't believe things that happen outside. <laughs> outside, right. Well, it's fair enough. Uh, and uh, so you need to know that. But then, of course, we need to try and work out, is there any way we can make cannabis safer? And we have done a little bit of work on that. You know, there's in, in cannabis, there's THC, which is the one that makes you euphoric. There's also CBD which if anything makes you chill out and so on. And we did some studies showing that if you give people THC intravenously by a, in an injection, you can make them psychotic temporarily, you know, for six hours or so. Yeah. But if you give them CBD before, you can partly abort that. It seems to ameliorate that. And so we thought that you could maybe get a safer cannabis if you had uh, more CBD in it. But it works out that you need you take vast quantities of CBD uh, to counteract the THC. So that didn't work. But I think the 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 we 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 just need to 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 learn more more about it, and we need to to know more about why some people are susceptible. It's very common for people like me. You meet a twenty-year-old young man, and he's gone psychotic, and you say to him, do you think it could have anything to do with the cannabis? And he says, no, all my friends smoke more than me. Right. He's just unlike, unlucky. You know, it's the same as he might develop diabetes or he might develop asthma. Why, why me, not my friends? Because he has the vulnerability. So I have this fantasy that uh, in the future, when, I, we're going, when you're going to a pop festival in Europe, you go on a Thursday or a Friday and stay over the weekend. That I would be there with a little tent and shouting out genotyping, genotyping, <laughs> come and be genotyped. And you would go over and you would give a thumb stab and we'll say, we'll genotype you and come back in an hour and we'll tell you whether you're okay with cannabis or not. So you come back in an hour and we say, like, oh, you're fine, you're okay, you can get stoned, nothing, nothing bad's going to happen to you. And the other one we say, Oh dear, you're you're susceptible to cannabis use psychosis. Just stick to the heroin. Uh, <laughs> no, but that's a very bad joke. I don't mean that. Yeah. But it could be that uh, we would be able to identify those people who are especially at risk. And that that's the reason for doing a lot of the genetic work at present. Yeah. We kind of have that a little bit for alcohol, you know, as if people who cannot metabolize their alcohol, yeah. they, 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 and that, that can, that, and the ones that can are, are more at risk. It's yeah. it's interesting. I used to think that um, no, you know, you there's no harms in the CBD that people take. But if you read the FDA label for for CBD, it, it mentions you know sedation, suicidal ideations, and of course liver damage. And I've seen a couple patients who um, use CBD, the oils, and a lot of it, and they've come in with severe anxiety. So I'm I'm wondering, and uh, mm, I, interesting. Know, so well, I, don't, I don't know how safe that is yet. So CBD has just really, I, I guess we're behind you. Uh, CBD has become the great fashion in the last two or three years. Mm -hmm. yeah, and uh, so uh, people are now uh, uh, putting on their skins, having their shampoo, uh, they're swallowing it. Uh, and I mean, there's no doubt, isn't there, that for childhood epilepsy, some rare forms of childhood epilepsy, CBD may transform some some of these poor children that are fitting yeah. a lot. So it does that that is proven to be useful. But on the internet, it's it's good for CBD is good for everything. Uh, so they say. When yeah. when COVID first started, I said to my wife, "I bet uh, within a year there'll be marketing a uh, CBD." 
for for COVID. Oh, uh, yeah, of course, they are. They are. So, a people high dose CBD has not been a so common in the UK as in in the states. But I know that in children with epilepsy, liver damage has been. Yes. I reported, but of course there is the argument that that's be, maybe because of the combination of the CBD and anti-epileptics, which also increase your risk of uh, liver disease. So uh, I, I don't. Did you did you have evening primrose oil in the USA as a sort of crimson oil? I don't know what that is. Prim, primrose oil. There was a time primrose. when oh. uh, that, that every perfume or every bath salts or every shampoo had to have evening primrose oil or omega fatty acids. There was a sort of fashion that yeah. these sort of things are good for everything. Yes. My wife says, oh, they'll be putting CBD in the water supply soon. Uh, people seem to, 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 it's been so much hyped. It's a trend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, follow the money, right? <laughs> Personally. Yes. Um, do you have any advice for our pharmacist, Henna Ahmed? Who's uh, trying? She she works in educating other pharmacists, physicians. She she works on opioid stewardship, um, and is realizing the connection now with opioids, cannabis, benzoate. You know, making all medicines safe um, and all drugs safe. Yes, I think. Uh, I mean, the, the important thing is that these are drugs, and uh, they, they, they lots of people don't believe that cannabis is a drug. Actually, even your former governor, uh, Schwarzinger, has quoted why I mean, people are always quoting Arnie Schwarzinger's. It's not a drug. It's 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 a leaf. It's a uh, it's natural. How it, how can a natural substance do you any harm? Yeah, where, does op- where does opium come from? It comes from the poppy. Uh, so I, I I think the import as as your pharmacy colleague says the important thing is not whether it's legal or not two important things one education so that everybody knows how i what the risks are everybody knows the risks of tobacco or of alcohol maybe people will still want to smoke a lot of cannabis but at least it's good if they smoke it in the knowledge that they it is risky behavior so i think education is the one important thing and the other one is commercialization I, I, it may be that uh, we can avoid that. I, though it, North American money is beginning to waft into the UK. For example, one of our members of parliament is, was given $400,000 uh, in order to campaign for, uh, for uh, loosening the, the, the legal constraints on cannabis. So I think... As you say, follow the money. The money is big. North American money is beginning to come in our our direction. And uh, as you know, politicians are easy to seduce by by promises of tax. uh, uh, Right. So we'll say follow the science every time they say (laughs) we'll say follow the science. So last question for you, Sir Robin um, Murray. Can you tell us Americans uh, what it was like to get knighted? Uh, was the queen there? Were you prepped? Did you know how to behave? Did they have to like coach you? Oh, like we would, well, we would, we would, we would I, know how to behave in front of. First the queen. of all, the queen wasn't there. The queen oh, had flu. She should have I, been. There. <laughs> uh, so I had to. I went there, and Prince uh, Princess Anne was there. They, they she, uh, I, she is a very nice lady, actually, and uh, she said to me. I, oh, you're interested in, uh, in so she had the sword. Uh, so I had a few minutes to chat with her. She said, you're interested in schizophrenia. She said, I know quite a lot about schizophrenia because there's a, this man who stands outside my house. By house, she meant palace, I think. And uh, when I go past in my car, most of the time he waves at me and uh, he smiles and waves. Then after a wee while, he starts shout, shouting at me and and uh, waving his wave, waving my fist, and this goes on for a month or so, and suddenly he disappears, and I don't see him for six months, and then he comes back and he's waving in a friendly way. So she discovered that this man is a sort of stalker who uh, has has episodes of schizophrenia. So anyway, so we had this chat, and then uh, I had to, to to kneel down and get clonked with the sword. But you're correct. 
you have to uh, do all the protocol right. And once you've been clunked with the sword, you can't turn away. You, you have to keep facing the monarch or the royal person. You have to go backwards. Uh, you have to walk backwards and out of the room backwards. And then the, then the next person comes along. Oh, it's very, okay. what an experience. What an honor, really, because that means, you know, the country has uh, great thanks for, for your work and your science and, you know, well, I think the, 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 it's a mixed blessing in 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 the UK. Uh, scientists and 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 medics tend to get knighted for their work, but there's also very rich people who make a donation of a uh, twenty million dollars or twenty million pounds to the to the to the, the to the, the, the politicians, <laughs> and uh, somehow or other they have done wondrous works and they become knighted or a lord as well. So, so there's a bit of corruption as well. Oh. All right. Well, we'll again, for, even for that, we'll follow the science. <laughs> yes, yes. So I want to, you know what? I, I heard you talk about that that lady outside um, the princess's place, who, who, a man who had schizophrenia. Do, do you in England have more locked units for people with mental health disorder? Like in, in the United States, we, under Ronald Reagan, really opened that out and we have a lot of homeless and a lot of people who I just feel so sorry for because we're not taking care of them. They're on the streets and they're not getting medicines. They're not getting food. Um, and I'm, it feels to me, and I don't know that that's an American problem because we decided to un, un stop all the mental health hospitals. Yes. And it's, it is a terrible shock to go to San Francisco or Los Angeles for the first time and see all these poor souls. I remember going to a meeting of the American Psychiatric Association, and there was this huge advert which pointed down to the gutter, to the road, uh, the pavement, which said, America's newest facility for the care of the mentally ill, pointing to the where the homeless were. Uh, and it, it it is sad. So we have, we have decreased the number of psychiatric beds uh, to some extent, but the average person who is admitted to a psychiatric hospital in the UK stays for about four weeks. Uh, so in that in, in that period, you, I mean, some, some of course only stay for a week, but others might stay for a, for a two or three months. So we're not in quite so much pressure. I mean, I wouldn't, there still is pressure. Uh, there's not quite so much pressure to sort of get people out the door because there's other people coming in. So uh, uh, the, 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 our situation is not quite as bad as, uh, uh, as, as yours, yours is. So I always say to people, in the US, you'd probably get better treatment for psychiatric problems if you're rich and worse treatment if you're poor. And we're maybe a bit in the middle. Interesting. Um, you know, I, and I guess it depends on the type of psychiatric problem that you have, if that's true, because I actually think that people who are poor can get better um, wraparound care than people who are rich. So if you're rich, you don't have coordinated care. You'll go to the fancy doctor and then maybe separately to the psychiatrist, but you don't have wraparound services that they, you know, a rich person may not have substance use disorder, but the, the poor actually have coordination. Their medical doctor and psychiatrist and substance use disorder may all work in the same clinic for people with severe disease and, and they get better I think wraparound services yes. and care so, than so, the rich. So, so, so we have that situation. That what and our our system is different. In that you're a psychiatrist, you're responsible for everybody who is psychotic in a, a particular area. When they're in the hospital and when you discharge them, you're still responsible for them. So you have to follow them up, and, and if they get lost, you have to chase them up. And uh, Actually, there's a legal requirement on the psychiatrist that if something terrible happens there is, and the patient uh, kills themselves or harms somebody else, then there is an inquiry and the wow. psychiatrist will be held responsible if they have not followed them up properly. So we have more sort of care in the community. I, 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 it's, it's far from perfect. And because of all our drug abuse, we have far too far too many psychotic patients because we have far more than we used to have. So the, the system is still overburdened, but uh, and we still have we also have, of course, uh, uh, psychotic people in jail when they ought not to be in jail 
it's it is a sadness yeah well that's very interesting i'm glad i got that in to kind of get that comparison of mental health care here and in the uk um so i want to thank henna um there are pharmacist for her question and her amazing leadership when it comes to opiate stewardship and um and safety of all medications and i know that she's going to now having heard this uh podcast going to expand her stewardship to all cns depressants and that include the effects of uh candidate cannabis and all these drugs are additive in their nature and and to you professor sir robin murray i want to say that even though you said to call me robin um because it's it, it's just um it's such a special honor to have you here on high truths and you make um uh this podcasting of working with legends uh, amazing and i really really thank you for your brave research and sounding the alarm in mental health prevention and protecting the brain from cannabis well thank you very much it's been i've, I've enjoyed talking with you Thank you for listening to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. This week's episode would not be possible without the generous support from our sponsors. A sincere and warm thank you to NMI, the National Marijuana Initiative, striving to dispel misconceptions about marijuana so citizens and policymakers can make well-informed choices. Our producer is Dave Rivas from Davey Boy Productions. I am your host, Dr. Ronit Lev. We hope we brought your day a little bit more high truths.